Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello and welcome back to part two with Alistair Morrill. So we are continuing our conversations into cider and Perry's fruit juices. Now, stay with us. I'm going to be tasting a cider made with Cabernet Franc grapes. So for those of you who are into your sparkling wines, specifically Pet Nats, Petillant Naturals, this is an amazing cider for you to try. So you need to know about it. Now, we're going to talk about the drink Melomel. Now, do you know what that is? I certainly didn't until this episode. We'll talk about key regions in the world for cider. What do mature trees bring to apples? A little bit of history, talking about some cider museums that you may want to go and explore, wild yeasts, ice cider, we'll talk about when it was first created, and then of course different styles of this category, the pioneers, and because this is a wine podcast and Alistair has been in the wine industry for decades, I have got him to pinpoint some of his favourite wines and or wineries that have inspired him that hopefully you then may want to go off and try. So I hope you enjoy the second part. Grab yourself a glass of cider or perry and let's get to the chat. So, question. Are there better apples? Let's talk about apples here. You know, we talk, you talked about mm. pears being the Pinot Noir. Mm. Um, we obviously have all these different varieties in the wine world that have so many different flavours. Obviously, everybody knows a Granny Smith apple and a Golden Delicious apple are completely different, actually. So... And that, there you go. That's where my apple knowledge stops. <laughs> but, you know, are there specific apples that oh, people definitely. use? Uh, definitely. I mean, there are apples that uh, make a difference and have made their mark. Um, but I think it's interesting for people to know that uh, in the first instance, there are about 60,000 different apple varieties in the world. Oh, um, OK. So and... how many of them can you name? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Well, I thought the comparison is interesting with with grapes because there are about 10,000 grape varieties in the world and about a thousand of those are produced commercially. Okay. Uh, whereas with cider, we don't really know how many are produced commercially. There's certainly a huge amount. And this country is a tremendous base of knowledge about uh, cider and cider making apples. Um, I certainly know one estate, Welsh Mountain, that we work with. Um, I think they have over 500 different uh, apple varieties on their uh, land in the highest orchard in the in the UK. Mm. Um, and there are things like Kingston Black, Dabinet, uh, Yarlington Mill, all of which uh, are, are notable apple varieties. Yes, yes, I knew them. That... I knew them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I Browns, <laughs> Ellis Bitters. Um, I mean, there are, and there's some absolutely incredible names as well. And I suppose a cider maker would pick maybe some because perhaps the skins would be maybe thicker, so it might give more tanning. Some they might want to go with more acidity, or they might, Abs- yeah, absolutely. But uh, there is a distinction uh, between dessert apples and 
uh, cider making apples as ah, well. Okay. Okay. Um, so dessert apples, yes, are the things that we we know and love. The whether it's Pink Ladies or Bramleys or Coxes or Russets, uh, mm-hmm. these are these are dessert apples typically. Um, and then there's a whole world of cider making apples that we wouldn't come across just because. They're not particularly nice to eat on their own. <laughs> yeah. And um, and they are, as you exactly say, too acidic, too tannic, um, too sharp uh, for, for, for eating in that way. However, for cider making, they're absolutely brilliant because we need all of that acidity and tannin um, for the structure of the drink. And it shows mm. the fruit off to the best uh, best effect whereas if you use dessert apples you have a tendency to have really low acidity and a rather flabby sort of drink um, and uh, you know what? we don't uh, like flabby we don't like no flabby. we don't like flabby no. so let me pour the next one and I'm very excited about this one because this is the, by Berryland it's a 2020 vintage and this is it says Cabernet Franc apple cider brut so they, what are they doing with Cabernet Franc, the grape variety? So, um, well, this is fascinating. I mean, this is from the Ukraine, and we all know the dreadful news that we've had from there in the last uh, few weeks. Well, we're donating 10% of our sales, our Berryland sales, oh, incredible. to the Ukraine, UK, Ukraine um, aid charity to support them we just felt that with a ukrainian range in our midst then uh, we had to do something mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. because that it is just shocking uh, upsetting and uh, uh, and really rather unnecessary uh, but what can we do well we yeah. can do something so we, we are doing something Amazing. to support them okay so these wonderful ukrainians are producing this interesting cider and i can i just point out to everybody it is red. So in my glass, apart from the froth, it is just, it's exactly the colour you would see if you were pouring a Cabernet Franc into your glass. So, or probably a little bit lighter, actually. That colour and that description, yes. the frothiness of it, yeah. I, I think rather signals uh, and whets the appetite for what is to become. It always makes me think of Beaujolais. You know, oh, Beaujolais yeah, yeah, yeah. was always described as that foaming kind of red, frothy, purple red juice that's coming, mm. and, and that 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 in 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 the, in the first instance, that's what what comes to you. However, when we move on to the actual smell and the taste and the aroma, I love this. I love this drink. I mean, it's this is stunning. Just... Oh, this okay. takes us to another place altogether. We've gone up slightly. This is a little bit of sweetness. Like, it's it's just off dry. Like, I mean, again, it's not sweet for anyone. But again, there's just a touch of sweetness, isn't there? Right at the at the end. Just by taste, were... yes. But mm. by, by making process, no. It's a mm. brute cider. Mm. And they make this by taking Cabernet Franc grapes. They crush yeah. them into juice. They take the the apples, they crush them into juice and they ferment them together. Now, this is not the way that co-ferments are done in this country, mostly for tax reasons. Um, (laughs) I I can explain. Uh, And you end up with this wonderful, foaming, bright, frothy red uh, drink with a wonderful umami. I, you know, I get this lovely sort of savoury saltiness from this. Uh, I get a smoky, uh, na- again, smoky yeah. nature for me. Really? Uh, and and I, you can tell the Cabernet Franc and the apple 
constituent parts because you get that leafy, say, smoky mm. nature from the Cabernet yes. Franc. Leaves, that's crushed leaves, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, at the same time, you have the structure of the apples, uh, the acidity, the framework, if you like, around this Cabernet Franc yeah. flavours just dance around the palate. Uh, and, and the finish that is incredibly long. Um, I, I mean, I, 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 again, I, my mind goes crazy when I think about the sort of food matching that we can do here. I think it's uh, really uh, huge. And um, I think like, uh, fez- sorry, I'm just going to interrupt you. I was just going to say things like pheasant, duck, yeah, rabbit. I would be absolutely. looking at those kind of more like gamey, gamier meats. I think it could really work. Absolutely. I think that, mm. those are brilliant suggestions. Um, and, and, you know, the Ukraine is the second largest country in Europe and really should be the breadbasket of Europe as well. I mean, it, has, it can grow just about anything. It's mm. got a, a really continental climate. They have every sort of season within the, within the country there. Uh, and uh, hot, cold, um, and a wonderful ability to grow fruit and... Um, uh, and, and horticulture in general uh, and and I think you know it demonstrates in this drink I think it's a wonderfully uh, different uh, drink that is still just so utterly drinkable um, and implores you to drink absolutely it's beautiful you've got that smoky nature a little bit of herb I'll get some thyme maybe mm. a little bit of sage in there so again the fact that I'm picking out those herbs any kind of you know if you were put, getting your I don't know pheasant dish and you're making some roast potatoes and you throw on a whole load of fresh herbs, it's going to work. Um, but it, it, I think for anybody who quite likes um, pet gnats with the fact that a lot of them are made with red grape varieties and they have mm. this kind of frothiness, but they're actually mm. a lot of the time very savory and quite dry mm. because, of course, they only have that fermentation once in bottle. This is potentially the closest thing, which is kind of interesting if people kind of say, oh, I'm not ready for cider or I just don't really want the green apple flavor i don't want any of that i mean this this is almost its own category in itself it's so different right yeah I, I, absolutely and and this is where cider meets wine and wine meets cider and mm-hmm. um, there's a crossover um, is, is it one thing or the other well it, it's probably a bit of both but one thing it is on its own is just a sensational drink uh, that really surprises and delights how much is this one this is 13 uh, 13 pounds ah still um, nothing again and it's seven to seven i love this it's seven to seven point five percent so we don't we don't know it could be seven point two could be seven point three yeah. it's somewhere around that range i like that it's yeah. like meh <laughs> uh, uh, t- yeah i mean a wonderful a wonderful drink and a wonderful array of products from berryland as well we have rhubarb mellow mel do you know what mellow mel is um i'm gonna pretend i do but explain for everyone else <laughs> <laughs> so for your information Ginny, because everyone else knows really don't they? <gasps> um, <laughs> um, um uh, but seriously, uh, Mellow Mel is where uh, I didn't know what Mellow Mel was until last year. Mm. Uh, and it's where fruit wine meets um, mead um, because we, we have a rhubarb and an apricot Mellow Mel in our mm. range. And they are 100 percent from the fruit, from the fresh fruit, fermented with local honey to augment Ew. the sugar that's there. And they are utterly delicious. I mean, they're just fantastic. They taste of the real fruit and that might sound ridiculous but uh when you taste some of the 
horrible kind of flavour mixes that come out in, I don't know, ciders, different drinks, um, some <laughs> of the concocted things. You know, these are the return to the actual fruit. You get that real raspingness of the, uh, of the rhubarb. Uh, it's a dry drink and yet... It gives you an impression of a certain amount of, of, of sweetness. Mm. Fantastic match for smoked salmon. Uh, oh. The apricot is totally beguiling as well. You get that rich, intense apricot uh, uh, flavour and yet totally dry. How so exciting. Really... You know, because oh. like you're, you're, re- you're demonstrating that there's really so many different drinks this this is a drinks category that i think many people haven't really even gone down into and so and it sounds great it's exciting it's very exciting indeed a whole new world that we we never even knew was there (laughs) can i just can i just ask you finishing off with berryland it says from mature trees so I mean, oh, the the tree being older maybe affects the just like with vines, an older vine, it can concentrate the flavors. It can roots go down deeper, takes more nutrients and minerals. Is this the same kind of thing? Maybe. <laughs> I'm also intrigued by this subject, and I ask around um, okay. our makers and so on because there isn't a lot of published uh, uh, information available about mm. this. And from what I can gather, then, older trees um, don't make a huge amount of difference in terms of the actual quality level of the fruit, the, the intensity of the fruit. Um, they have, they're much, more, much longer lived. Um, they don't grow exponentially in the same way that vines. You know, a vine is a weed, isn't it? I mean, it will mm-hmm. grow for a, a, as many tentacles as it possibly can for as long <laughs> as it can if it's allowed to. Whereas a, a an apple tree or a pear tree will kind of get to a, a mature growth stage where it probably won't grow that much bigger any further. And that's why we end up with 100 and 200 year old pear trees and, uh, and so on. We know that we know that there are uh, growers within our midst that uh, with our range that uh, that use that age of tree. Um, so I don't think it's true to the same extent, no. What is true is that they are uh, biennial croppers. So we end up with a cycle where one year will be really low and the next year will be really a, a very strong mm. crop. But that's not to suggest that there's any dilution going on. It's how the tree operates. And okay. we know that, that that happens in grapes too, but to a much lesser extent. It's not so quite to the conclusion, same conclusion, mature trees, good. How good? Meh. Don't know, but yeah. still worth mentioning. <laughs> yes. Yeah, more, more, more information in the future. Well, we are developing this category. I say we because I'm, I'm joining you now. You are I'm indeed joining, so joining we us. We are developing it. Now, I am on to the next one because I am thirsty. Le Petite Grange du Cidre, 2020. Yeah. And yeah. our new word, Kieved. This is Kieved Cider. It so, is so, indeed, okay. and and uh, this is a sensational drink from Llamblethian Orchards in South Wales. Oh, sorry, sir, I didn't even mention their name. Llamblethian oh. Orchards, uh, by the wonderful Alex Simmons, uh, small orchardist and grower and and maker, um, but very 
uh, experimental. There aren't many Kivas left in the UK. I mean, Kiving used to be a really strong part of the UK industry. And by the way, mm. the UK cider industry is the biggest in the world. We make 40% of the world's cider and we Do drink we? 40%. Yeah. Do we? I was going to say, what, what? I mean, actually, sorry, I'm just going to cut you off because I have so many questions. I mean, we're obviously then the key region for cider. I kind of yeah. thought that, but that's because I just live here. It doesn't mean I have any knowledge. Um, where else? I mean... Where is the other mate? I know that we've tasted some wine now from from Spain, from New Zealand, from France. But I mean, are they the key regions? Uh, to to a degree, yes. I mean, Germany's quite strong. Eastern okay. Europe's quite strong. Uh, it's the second fastest growing drink in the in the United States. Um, second fastest alcoholic uh, drink growing in, in the United States. So mm-hmm. it's it's got some strong. Uh, regrowth there but we forget that cider in this country was the was the drink of choice uh 200 years ago it's the drink of nobility ah, so you've bought you're born too late yeah born, born too late yeah never mind. well you're bringing it back you bring we could yeah. be reborn uh, yes. as well i mean there's there, there's naissance and there's renaissance isn't there ah uh-huh. there you go and that and we know which stage we're in yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, I think it's about time that we got back to that state where cider was uh, looked up to, was respected, was uh, was actually appreciated on the same level of wine. It was only when that cheap, dirty French wine came in that we actually started <laughs> drinking wine as opposed to as opposed to cider. You might have upset and, a few. You might a few people might have switched off now. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we've we've kind of got things topsy turvy. And if you go to the cider museum in Ledbury in, in Herefordshire, Ooh, there's a cider museum. There's a cider museum. Then um, they're actually uh, based in the old Bulmer's offices, and the the brothers Bulmer went out to Champagne in uh, the late nineteenth century and came back and dug a champagne cellar, and that's where the cider museum is today. And this is um. is a champagne cellar for all the tea in China, uh, for all the apples in Southwest England. Uh, it is a champagne cellar, but in Ledbury in Herefordshire. It's amazing. There's pupitres, chalk cellars. It's, it, it, I mean, wow. it is. Yeah, it's quite incredible. So the point being, that <laughs> the family Bulmer, the family Bulmer, despite being responsible for um, some rather big brand uh, made from concentrate ciders, mm-hmm. um, uh, was actually had in, in mind to recreate champagne from apples uh, mm. in the late 19th century, and indeed. We did invent the champagne method um, well before Dom Perignon stepped a foot into into a northern French. Uh, There's a whole history cellar. there, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a huge amount of history and heritage that we just don't celebrate. Yeah, we created the strong, heavy bottles, didn't we? Indeed. Indeed. The French theirs was just all exploding and popping, but that is for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so this one I have... I can see the sticker on it. It won gold in the IWSC uh, 2021 tasting. It won gold. And Clan mm. won the IWSC trophy um, mm. last year. Uh, the, our first trophy awarded. Absolutely uh, superb. I mean, lovely, rich, peachy style fruit. Uh, you know, again, broader than apples. So much broader than apples. 3.9% alcohol. I mean, get that. 3.9? And yet, and yet, and that, that, oh and yet, God. it's such a complete drink. It is, wow. you know, it actually, is really. Okay. 
That is impressive. Oh, and just for anyone who has a dirty mind like mine, they use the Apple's golden knob. Okay. But anyway, yeah. there we <laughs> Wonderful name. There's some wonderful, wonderful flavours in this. Uh, it's not dry, but it's not sweet. No, uh, it's it's off dry plus. I yeah. Know, that's where I'm putting it. I wouldn't even go medium sweet, but it's off, definitely now it's the sweetest we've tasted so far. Um, and that's the that's what the keeving does for for mm. it. But it's a wonderful drink, and uh, it's uh, something that Nigel Barden talked about on uh, Greatest Hits Radio with Simon Mayo just a week or so ago. And, okay, um, they loved it. Um, thought it was really fantastic this as well. So. It's brilliant. It has a really tannic body. It's actually probably the grippiest mm. one they've had so far. But then it has this wonderful sweetness. And then it's got this beautiful kind of, uh, I'm not sure, fresh nectarines, maybe orange skins, yeah. maybe an orange zestiness mm. to it. It's, it's, it's quite, is it pithy? I mean, it's, it's, it's quite hard to, mm. it's super lively. No, I, I wouldn't go pithy. It's actually quite clean at the same time. It's just more grippy because of the tannins, but it's got a lot of structure. Very, very interesting. I mean, this would probably be really nice with, again, because of the grippiness, it's just taken me all the way to, you know, your game meat, but maybe like duck a l'orange because of that orange flavour, you know, or something with a sweeter sauce. Yeah, I mean, that that's, that's again, this is where it takes me to Southeast Asia when I think of, of, of dishes that, mm. um, you know, could be uh, on the... A, a, a lighter a chicken sort of dish with a, a lighter curry uh, yeah. um, sp spices or it could be a, a, a Chinese more powerful slightly more powerful Chinese yeah. um, yeah. type of uh, a, a dish or uh, or maybe uh, Singapore noodles uh, with them. Uh, yeah, with a whole load of kind of some pork mm. thrown in there, a load of chili in there. Actually, the Singapore noodles is the one. I, I like that because it's, I don't know, because of the tannin and the structure, I personally would prefer something less creamy. That's not, I'm not to say it's not going to go with creamy dishes because the yeah. acidity is high, but something like Singapore noodles, which is actually drier. I don't know, it yeah. just feels like that would really, like, like for like. Um, how much would this be? Uh, so that is nine ninety nine, and it's a You're doing bargain. well. There's a limited amount of stock available of that as well. We only have, um, I think, about 60 bottles, so it's um, oh. it's not going to last forever. Now, on I like, so far, not all of them have had full, full information, but there's actually a lot more information on the back of these bottles, or front, than actual typical wine bottles. And this specific one is brilliant. It's saying the batch number. Also mentions that it's using wild yeasts. Yes. So, again... Uh, that brings me to yeasts in general. So obviously they're just using the yeasts that come in from the apples and the ambient environment of the cidery. What do you call yeah. a what do you call yeah, a yeah, what do you call cider. a winery for cider? A cidery. Yeah, cidery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is no, it really? Yes, okay. it really is. Yeah. Okay. Good. 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 <laughs> tick. Um, so of course that's what the wild yeast is. Obviously here, is it in all of these wines? Are they? Is it a mix? Some of them are using specifically so, yeasts. Yeah, uh, so you can use cultured yeasts. Typically, uh, many would use champagne yeast. Oh, okay, um, that's which a, okay. is a, mm -hmm. a known, well-known uh, strain used in winemaking. 
but many use, I mean, there is a natural bint to many of these cider makers uh, and producers because, uh, because they wanted to c pr come back to something that was more authentic, more real. You know, whether yeah, you're talking yeah. about Mark McGill in New Zealand or, or, or Adam Bland in, uh, in Normandy or Alex, who really comes from the land in the first place, uh, then th they really want to uh, do it, be doing something that's uh, connected to that real authentic uh, proposition um, and the fruit itself. So I'm, I, I said to you that you had to convince me at the beginning of the other episode last week, but I have to say, the, just... Sh sh just tasting how different every single one is, seeing the personality, the difference in tannin structure, the difference in sweetness levels, the difference in flavors. I said to you, I thought they were all just going to taste like apple. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and now, and now, okay, I, this is the one I'm most excited about because I love a good ice wine, ice wine. And this is ice cider. This is from Brandlands, who you were talking about in the first episode. They were the cidery, I want to say winery, yeah. the cidery that you used to do this wonderful cider maker's dinner. This is, I think, yeah, it's just simple ice cider, 2019, right? 9.5% uh, alcohol. Guys, this is the most, this is the highest alcohol. Yeah. And it's a half bottle, so 375 mil, as you would expect from many dessert wines, they're half bottles. So tell me about this ice cider. So ice cider is a new invention, really. Ice cider was created in the late 80s by a guy called Borgmurf in Canada, Quebec, oh, Canada. Okay. Ice mm. wine is a bit of a thing in Canada. They love their ice wine. Literally um, a, few ep a few episodes ago, I've just released um, a whole okay. episode on ice, on ice, on ice wine. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, ice wine uh, really sort of came to the fore in the mid-19th mid century. Germany and Austria uh, and uh, got a hold in Canada in the 1970s uh, and 80s and Borgmurf was a leading producer of ice wine and then he said hmm but I've got an orchard what am I going to do with that orchard huh you know what I'm going to make ice cider and that's what he did <laughs> and then in 1995 they actually legislated AOC style in Quebec for ice cider and how you make mm. it so it's got or the apples have got to come from Quebec uh, they've got to achieve a certain level of uh, natural sweetness in the in, when they're harvested. They've got to be made naturally cold, and this is an interesting area of of discussion. Uh, naturally cold means that either you've got to take the apple from the tree, frozen, and press it. Mm -hmm. And bear in mind, you know, in Quebec it gets pretty cold in winter. Minus thirty is For not sure. unusual by any stretch mm -hmm. of the imagination, and that's a pretty difficult thing to do. Not many producers do it. Um, or you take the fruit, fruit from the tree as a ripe fruit, you, you uh, mill it into juice, and then you leave your tanks outside to freeze over winter in the natural cold. You can, of course, make it by taking it into a commercial freezer and freezing the fruit there or the juice there. Well, I suppose that's never considered just like the same. You could do that with ice wine, but if you want the most premium and what's considered the best quality, it's having it frozen on its Natural. wine, frozen yeah. on yeah. its tree. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have a superb uh, blueberry ice wine um, that is made uh, in that way with uh, commercially frozen in a freezer, but they actually press the frozen blueberries 
takes about four days for the press to complete its cycle. It's wow. so 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 hard. So, um, Andreas makes his ciders because they're at sixty three uh, degrees latitude north. Then uh, he makes his cider ice ciders naturally cold, and all they produce is ice ciders. And he had several goes at it before he was successful in 2012 producing his first commercial 500 bottles. And I have to say, um, it's a reward for the world because it's a tr superb drink. Um, served in Michelin star restaurants um, and uh, really quite uh, delicious. Um, again, the acidity is the thing that really stands out as something that holds this drink beautifully together and is the, is the balancing uh, factor. And if you put that ag alongside um, any uh, dessert wine, sauterne, um, ice wine, you will notice just how refreshing, how inspiring, how invigorating the acidity is in the uh, in the ice cider. It's really quite delicious. It's um, stunning. It's stunning. I have to say, like, so funny enough, I get the nose is so floral and pretty. I get like marshmallows. Yeah. I get marshmallows. This lovely peachy nature, and then just loads of blossom. It's very floral, very soft, and then on the palate, it's like this beautiful apple tartan. So it's almost you've got the baked apples, that concentrated apples, and maybe this lovely, beautiful, flaky pastry. But then there's also some red fruits in there, like strawberries. Yeah. And then to sum it all up, it's not got that weightiness, that richness that um cloying yeah, yeah but then i yeah I, I guess i'll say cloyness you're fine but at the same time that's almost like not giving credit to delicious ice wine but it they're they're thick and they're rich aren't they ice yeah. wines and this actually just dances so <laughs> i think you could drink a you could drink a hell of a lot more and whereas i think that ice wine often you want to pair it with something or have a very small glass you can really play around i think this probably opens up your category with this one for all the different kind of foods that you could have it with um and definitely take it away not just from dessert wine because it's actually so light and bright um what is the residual sugar do you happen to know about 180 grams per liter yeah, so I mean, super, super high. Well, it's about the same as Sauterne. But yeah, it's not like Pedro Jimenez. It's super no. high in terms of the fact that sweet wine typically can start from, say, 45, 50 grams. It's nothing like, I think, I think oh, off the top of my head, oh God, I, I think Pedro Jimenez is something like 300 or something. Yeah. Um, definitely ice wine tends to be more. I think ice wine is actually more like 250, um, 280, something like that. Can be, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but this this sits at a really nice place. Very, very easy drinking. So be warned, it should have a warning sign on it. Well, uh, when we taste this with customers, they immediately want to know, where can I get it? Because it just yeah. inspires people just to say, I I've got to have some. I've just got to have some. It's, uh, it it no. is that sort of level of drink and uh, <sighs> This is going to get drunk. Tonight. Quite dreamy. <laughs> They're all going to get drunk, but I say this is going to get drunk tonight because my partner can't keep his um, mitts off of sweet wine. So he's he's a danger. He's a liability. Um, so that <laughs> won't last. That won't last more than five minutes. Well, we do have magnums available if Ooh! you'd like. Oh, God, I got a bit excited then. Okay, how much is this half bottle of ice cider? So it's 20 pounds. 
Okay, totally fine, totally worth it, yes. Um, and all of these you can buy individually, but you also do cases uh, and even monthly subscriptions, right, yes. on Cider as Wine. Yeah, absolutely, we do monthly subscriptions. Uh, you can okay. pay, pay as little as uh, £30, £40, £50 per month and uh, get a delicious uh, selection of ciders. And learn all about this world. Now, are there any other... We've obviously gone from really dry styles. We've done cider. We've done perry. And then, obviously, then an ice cider. Is there any other weird and interesting, wonderful styles that is in the cider world that that we haven't tasted or that you haven't mentioned? I, I mean, it's as diverse as the wine world. And yeah. so you have... <laughs> You have as as many styles as you would find in wine. Oak aging, okay. yes, that's okay. a thing. Champagne styles, pet nat styles. Um, method ancestral is more common in this uh, area than in Makes the wine sense. area. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Rosés, um, co-ferments with, uh, with fresh fruits as well. So uh, Blackberry Blush is one from Templar's Choice or the Dabinet Pinot from Once Upon a Tree. That's absolutely fantastic Um, from Herefordshire. And that's fermented with on Pinot Noir skins and quite sensational. You'd be surprised just how much character it's able to yield from the Pinot Noir and yet still retain a a very firm Dabinet uh, apple quality. Um, There is so much to... Uh, to explore um, and so much different and we have to kind of um, also take a step back from the way that we've been so uh, grape wine focused because there is a diversity of of style a slightly different frame it's like taking wine a frame of what wine tastes like and moving it one place to the left or right and saying yeah it's wine but it, 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 it is slightly different um it does have its own sense of of place and that that really comes back to this uh, uh, balance of acidity tannin and and fruit that comes together uh, and provides us with a different horizon and a different landscape of uh, what we might choose to eat and drink and uh, and a different prospect of of how we can enjoy this wonderful uh, terrain no, absolutely. Now, we're very lucky here in the UK. We obviously can go to your website. We can get these ciders and perries easy peasy. What about in America, where probably is my second listener base? Are you exporting? Is there a company that you work with there? Yeah, so, I mean, certainly big shout out for Eleanor Leger at Eden Ciders in Vermont. Uh, oh, who we we carry a number of their their, their products, but Eleanor's a real leader or and pioneer of real cider in the in the states, and what she produces is just outstanding. Things like Cinderella's Slipper, I, I mean, I, I want to put it up against White Burgundy every single time, and it has oh, that wow. awe about it and that sense of of style that is just uh, you know unmatchable. Um, but she's also a brilliant producer of ice ciders. She mentored Andreas at Brandland. Mm, um, okay. She's been producing ice ciders for longer than Andreas. Um, and, uh, and, of course, she can do it all naturally cold in Vermont 
uh, right on the Canadian border, by the way. So it's you know it's pretty cold up there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, I mean, Ellen is someone that we work with in uh, in the United States. Um, uh, we don't export uh, at the minute, but cider is wine as a mark, as a quality mark, has validity around the world, and we want to see Br- British ciders being great again. And that's uh, <laughs> uh, you know we're not proud of cider as a as a product, and yet it's our role. We see it as our role to make people proud of of, of cider again, and and to be able to feel proud when we export it to the to the rest of the world. We can only do that with a standard. We can only do that with a clear, transparent standard of being made from 100% juice, not from not from concentrate, and giving people the choice of being able to 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 choose um, a higher quality product. If cider remains as a rather ill-defined product it will languish uh, at the bottom of the of the pile for a long uh, a long while yet and and there's every reason to go and explore these terrific flavors tastes and uh, uh, and experiences that we have in the in the bottles uh, if you love wine you're going to love these and certainly what you've done on every single bottle is like a little silver hologram and that's basically the cider is wine trust yeah. certificate should we say it's a hologram to say that you know this is going to be 100% from the fruit not from concentrate and this could be used I guess it's obviously being used fully in those wines here in the UK but this yeah. could now start being used gradually across the world right yeah and we I mean it's there to allow consumers to be able to recognize it and so that they know and they can trust that they're getting a a, a, a real authentic uh experience and drink something that's made directly from the fruit and not messed about with um and that's we really care about that about that within our food and drink um selections today and um uh, and that's uh that's what we wanted to bring to this category because nobody knows about it and i have to say whilst i've been drinking these i really care too (laughs) (laughs) just because just to finish off because this is typically a grape wine podcast yeah i just want you to perhaps mention a winery or a few wines that you know through your years working in the wine industry have brought you happiness or that stick in your mind something that people should go out and just try and discover okay so um i did a vintage with peter lehman um, oh, of in, course. Okay. in yes. 1989 in the Brossa mm-hmm. Valley. The Brossa always holds Absolute a special classic. place in my heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 89 was the hottest vintage that they'd ever had there. Got to 40 degrees for 10 days, 10 straight wow. days there. And um, we were working 17 hours a day. Um, uh, uh, but I still love the wines from uh, Peter Lehman and the Stonewell Shiraz that their head winemaker at the time, Andrew Wigan, took me to see um, with uh, 50-year-old uh, vines, really gnarled old vines, is still a sensational uh, bottle of wine um, for me and, and, and utterly um, delicious. Uh, Chateau Lafitte Rothschild. <laughs> well, yes, everyone can afford the everyone can afford the Peter Lehman a little bit more, but yes, yeah, we'll, we'll go to Lafitte. <laughs> I said memorable. I was I was able to do a vertical tasting of Chateau Lafitte uh, oh. vintages at uh, at a wine show, professional show, um, wow. in oh about nineteen ninety seven, and wow. I, I I was able to get my hands on 
uh, a dozen bottles of the 96 and a dozen bottles of the 98 paid for. I hated to add, um, <laughs> uh, which I shared with my father. And I still have uh, two uh, bottles uh, left. We've just slowly <gasps> drunk these over the last uh, 20 odd years um, oh, and thoroughly en- en- enjoyed them. And what was incredible where they was the difference in style between 96 and 98 was really quite stark. And it was the mm. difference between the new and the old world of winemaking. Uh, in, in that time, there was a change of winemaker. And Interesting. You, can see, you could see the change of style. Grapes hadn't changed. Uh, barrels hadn't really changed. The place hadn't really changed, but the winemaker had. So that was really, uh, that was really uh, very, very interesting indeed. Um, Alsace wines, I always have a, a special place in my heart. I did the 1986 vintage. Uh, Nelson in New Zealand. Um, I, I mean, all of the wineries there. Uh, Van Gogh Seyfried, who I did a vintage with. Mm-hmm. or uh, Neudorf Vineyards. Uh, Tim and Judy Finn were extremely kind to me um uh, back in in the day um and uh, and i don't get to go back uh, very often at all um and glover's vineyard which i pruned um I these places have, have all got uh, special places in uh, in my heart and i would always uh, uh, you know gravitate to if i if i had the uh, opportunity to as far as day-to-day drinking is is concerned i love just different grape varieties where they bring something uh, different uh, i love exploring the different italian varieties of course there are many of them you'll um, never stop with that <laughs> no exactly exactly uh, and uh, uh, but i you know i don't have favorites in that sort of way because um, it depends on how you feel it's about mood and occasion what and, you're eating um, who you're yeah, with the yeah. wine glass the temperature yeah. everything uh, uh, one of the most fascinating books that i read was uh, neuroenology by Pref- professor gordon shepherd who okay. brought his his background of neuroscience together with um, his love of food and drink. He also wrote a book called Neurogastronomy. And okay. um, he brought them together um, to explore what does taste mean to the human mind and how do we experience it? How very interesting. And, That's a bit um, of a geeky book. Yes, it is a very geeky book in actual fact. Mm. But it is nonetheless very interesting for, you know, for what it uh, what it explores. Uh, and it, it demonstrates that uh, that taste is is really all in the mind. And and it is about every all of the experiences around us environmentally and internally that really create that taste, whether it's expectation, whether it's cold or warm, who you're with, um, but also kind of some of the science about how the nasal passages are connected, um, lead directly to the frontal lobes of the brain. And that's why smell is so immediate um, for us and takes us back to memories in a flash because we are wired up in, in that way where smell evokes that uh, sense of uh, of memory very very quickly indeed mm. and why it's such a powerful part of tasting experience as well um, that's a probably a very unfair short praise of the well book, but that people will have to people will have to go and read it thank you yeah, so yeah. much alistair i think for everyone listening obviously sorry that you couldn't taste these ciders and perry with me you have my assurance but quite clearly from listening to the passion that alistair has and understanding that he's done harvests all over the world and worked in the wine industry for decades and still 
is now here in Ciderland promoting it quite clearly goes to say that there is some fantastic examples in the world of cider and um, we all need to get in on it don't we indeed uh, I hope thanks. you're now convinced okay I'm convinced I'm convinced that's it <laughs> done thanks <laughs> Well, I am definitely convinced. Are you? Get in touch with me. Let me know your thoughts. Either send me an email, yanina at eatsleepwinerepeat.co.uk or a direct message on Instagram at eatsleep underscore wine repeat. Now to finish off, I bring back Benjamin Franklin again for another cider quote. And he said, give me yesterday's bread, this day's flesh and last year's cider. Well, as we've learnt, cider can age beautifully, so I now need to get my hands on a decade-old cider. Now, that is it for today, but next week I go back to the wine scene and I'm taking you across to New York State. That is the Finger Lakes region, and I'm going to be chatting with fourth-generation Megan Frank from the Dr. Constantine Frank winery. You definitely want to tune into this episode because this is the gentleman that actually brought Vetus vinifera vines to the Finger Lakes. So the story and the history is massive. So impressive. Now, thank you as always for listening. Do make sure you've subscribed, you've liked, share the podcast with a wine loving friend. Do it, do it now. And if you can leave me a comment, please do because it makes the podcast far more discoverable. You're all amazing. Thank you for your support. And I'm looking forward to sharing next week's episode with you. Until then, cheers to you.